This podcast has been recorded in the Dish with One Spoon territory. We acknowledge and extend our appreciation to the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, the Anishinaabe, and the Haudenosaunee for sharing their land with us. We also recognize that our listeners are all over the province and on other important Indigenous lands with their own treaties and unceded territories. With a recognition that we all have obligations to those treaties and to Indigenous peoples across Canada, we encourage our listeners to learn more about the Indigenous history in the communities where they live and work. Hello and welcome to Holiday Hours, the OBA CPD podcast exclusively offered to OBA members on the go. I'm Lynn Vickers, immediate past president of the OBA, and I'm delighted to present you a special momentum-themed edition of the Holiday Hours podcast. This edition of Holiday Hours is a six-part series of interviews with Ontario lawyers who are taking some unique and important steps in finding ways to make the profession better for all of us. These interviews were originally recorded at the OBA's Momentum Summit, which took place in the early fall of 2019. The summit featured lawyers from around the world, professionals in other industries, and trailblazers right here at home who all shared their insights and gave our participants strategies they can start to implement in their own workplaces. We invited lawyer and journalist Paula Todd to interview our guests. And she did a great job in drawing out stories and examples that are sure to inspire you. One interview that is very near and dear to my heart is one I was able to participate in with one of my mentees, the remarkable Rocio Gayensa. As you will hear in this interview, Rocio is an internationally trained lawyer from Venezuela. She holds a certificate of qualification from the National Committee of Accreditation, has completed a master's in common law from Osgoode Hall Law School, and is currently articling in Scotiabank's Anti-Money Laundering Risk Department. In these interviews, Rocio and I discuss the value of mentorship and sponsorship. And while mentorship is a great gift in our profession, I believe sponsorship is what's truly critical to career advancement. A sponsor creates opportunities and advocates for their protégés. I've mentored many young lawyers and continue to do so, but it remains a career highlight of mine to have sponsored Rocio and to have brought her into Scotiabank, where I used to work as senior legal counsel. When you sponsor someone, you're not only playing an active role in their success, you are also contributing positively to your own organization's bottom line. In this interview, I hope you'll see not only why I love mentoring young lawyers, but just how meaningful and life-changing, really, it is to invest in someone by creating opportunities for them. Hi, how are you doing so far? Good, a little bit nervous because I don't really know what I'm doing here. Okay, okay, you know what you're doing. You're going to share this amazing story that you shared with me, and you're just going to share it with everybody else. Where were you before you were here in Canada? So I'm originally from Venezuela in South America. I was born there and lived most of my, I live all my infancy there, my youth there, and most of my adult life so far there. And I came to Canada five years ago. 
Rosio is she's worried that her Spanish accent is strong, and that's really the only thing that's holding her back from feeling comfortable. Is anyone having trouble understanding her? Are you kidding me? It's beautiful. We can you're <laughs> so articulate. We can hear you. We understand you perfectly. We don't speak Spanish. You speak more languages than us. Like, you know, just be cool. You're cool. Thank you, Paula. <laughs> and why did you come to Canada? So, well, I guess it's not a secret for anyone that it is not the best time in my home country. Mm. So it came to the point in my life where I really, honestly, I really wanted to have a family. And I didn't feel that that was the safest place in the world to have a family and raise kids. So I decided to, to take the leap, a leap of faith and come to Canada and build a new life here, basically. And like many people who come to Canada to escape violence... What you're trained to do often is not recognized, respected, and or you have to do a lot of training. So talk a little bit about the job you were doing and how you envisioned your future here in Canada professionally. So honestly, I was in a really good place, professionally speaking, back home. I went to law school. I was also a journalist by trade back home. I was also into politics. I, really, I had a really fulfilling professional life. And... I didn't really want to leave. I thought that if good was ever to come to Venezuela, it, w it was my duty as a Venezuelan to stay there and help to basically rebuild the country. It came to a point in which I was a little bit selfish and I decided that I started to think a little bit more about myself and I didn't see my place there anymore. But I was basically, you know, professionally speaking into banking. I was a lawyer and I was working in one of the biggest financial institutions there. And I was, I, I have to say that for my age at that time, I, I was in a really good place and I had to come back here, you know, like, and, and start all over again. And it was not easy, but I know it's, it's the same story of a lot of people that is here in Canada. And that it's one of the things that makes it so nice about choosing Canada as my new home. But you came here and you've been this big lawyer, smart lawyer, recognized lawyer, and you thought, what did you think? So honestly, I just wanted to get a job, whatever job I could get. And I actually came here as an international student because it was just like the easier path from an immigration perspective to have a legal status here in Canada. And yeah, I, I did everything, you know, like I work in a store, I took care of kids, I work in a warehouse, like I just did what I needed to do to pay the bills, Canada's expensive country, uh, to pay the bills and to just keep moving forward. And I have to say that I never dreamt that I was going to be going back to the legal industry. I never thought it was going to be possible for me to kind of get back of what I did back home or even to the same level of what I used to do back home. But you loved the law. I mean, yes. that was a big thing to give up to change I have country. to say that I didn't really know that I loved it so much until I realized that, okay, I might never practice law again. So I think it was like a switch for me. I was like, oh, I really like being a lawyer. And I just realized it now. Like it was a big part of my identity, but I guess I only understood that when I realized that maybe it was gone. So this story has a very, very happy ending. You didn't see the lawyering as possible, but you did think about being a paralegal. Yes. Tell yes, me what happened. So initially I was not even thinking about going back into the legal industry until I had like a permanent status here in Canada. When I did, I actually received a push from a friend that went into this mentorship initiative and told me, you should really try it. Like he saw that I was going to a completely different path in my life. And I guess he thought he's also a lawyer from back home. So I guess he thought 
you know what, like she should give it another chance. So he actually told me, go try this. It's just a meeting. And that's how it all started. It was like a blind date because you don't really know the name of the person that it's actually going to be your mentor. So I was matched with Lynn Vickers, who is here with us today. And that was, of course, a life-changing event, honestly. What happened next? So I was lucky enough not only to have a mentor, but to have specifically have Lynn as a mentor. I hope I don't embarrass you by saying nice things about you. Um, She's a bit flushed, actually. <laughs> Just a little bit. She's not only an amazing professional, and I know all of you know Lynn. Uh, she's also an amazing human being. So she has been a role model. I have always believed that for you to be a good professional, you should be a good person. Like, if one thing comes with the other. So I found both things in Lynn. You know, like I found an amazing professional, so accomplished, like a super good mom. She has four kids. She has an amazing family. And she's also so accomplished, professionally speaking. And she's willing to give back as much as she does every day to the community. So she's, she's the whole package. So I was lucky enough to cross paths with her. And she really took me under her wing, as I, I know she has done with other, other mentees as well. First of all, she listened to me. She saw the place in my life in which I was. She listened that I wanted to be. I was like, okay, I want to go back to the legal industry, but I just think that maybe law school is like too much for me. Maybe I should just be like a law clerk, a paralegal. She respected at first, you know, like that's what, okay, like let's see how that works. But it came to the point that what she said, you know what, like you should, you should go back to law school. I think if you go to be a paralegal or if you decide to be a law clerk, you will not be as well feel as satisfied as you will if you go to law school. I think of that as the plot point turn in the movie. Yeah, yeah. She completely, let's say, rebuild my self-esteem from that point of view because I have never been a weak person. I consider myself to be a strong person. But there's something about, you know, like being in your environment. There's something about spending years of your life not really knowing if you can stay. I didn't really know if I could stay in Canada until I actually got my permanent residence. Not really knowing where you were going to live when the six months after, you know, like there was like a lot of instability in my life around that time. So I have to say that my self-esteem took a hit. And there's also a lot of um, like the legal profession in Canada is, of course, highly valued, but it's almost like it's in a pedestal. So I was like, I'm not good enough to go to law school in Canada. I never thought I was. And again, like I'm, I don't think I'm a weak person or like I think poorly of myself, but it's just, you know, like I, I didn't really know how things work here. I'm still figuring out how things work in Canada, specifically in the legal industry. So tell us where you are exactly right now in this path. So I'm an articling student in Scotiabank where I have to be working. You mean you finished law school? It is law school because I had to go back to law school. I didn't have to do like a JD by itself, but there is a possibility now for lawyers coming from civil law jurisdictions to pretty much accredited yourself to practice law here in Canada. So I went to law school. I did a master's in Canadian law in Osgoode Hall. I completed my NCA requirements. I have my NCA certificate of qualification. I'm now articling slash studying to take the bar, like the barrister and solicitor exams uh, soon. And then, yeah, being called to the bar hopefully next year. Amazing. We're going to talk to your mentor, but yes. there's a lot of people who, who might even be mid-career and think, as you were, oh, mentors are only for when you're first starting. We feel shy, I think you did too, about asking someone for help. It just feels scary. How do you suggest we overcome that? So I think, honestly, it's about weighing what you want. To me, even though I wasn't really actively trying to pursue a career in law, 
I always knew that that's what I really wanted to do. So just do a little bit of research and get out there. Like in my case, you know, after meeting Lynn, I just took a little push. A friend told me, go to this meeting. And then we were paired up. And then, you know, like after she told me, yeah, I think you could do it. I just started like call calling people, stalking people on LinkedIn. And like, hey, do you want to meet for a coffee? That's what I did. I would start like Googling in, in LinkedIn, Venezuela plus NCA plus lawyer, like to see people that had already done it here in Canada. And I actually found two people, both from my hometown. I'm not from Caracas. I'm from Maracaibo, a different town in Venezuela. And I literally just like text them. Could you please, you know, dedicate half an hour of your time to meet for coffee? And they were kind enough to say yes. And these were the first two people that actually told me this is the path. You know, like this is what we did. I would recommend you maybe like this worked for me. This might not work for you. Like this is what I learned. That wasn't a good idea while I was going to law school. I'm actually colleagues with one of those people now. He also works in Scotiabank. So everything turned out really well for him as well. I get those messages now and I don't think people are weird or crazy or anything to text me to go get a coffee. I think like I see it as something completely natural, maybe and mainly because I was there once. And I think it's the only way for you to overcome that barrier of not knowing how things work. You just need to get yourself out there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paula. (laughs) So, success. The mentor, please. I'm not just a mentor, and I'm also a mentee myself. I have my own mentors. Super interesting. It's sort of like, you know, psychiatrists, even when they become veteran psychiatrists, they have to keep going to therapy. I don't know if you know that. Let's talk about that first. Let's talk about why you are a mentee right now. Because you never stop learning in your life, and you always need help from people, no matter what stage you are in your career. I have mentors sitting right in this room. They maybe don't know that they're my mentors, but they are people who help me and help me work through problems. And it really is about a support network that we all need as we progress through life. I remember being in law school and being told that we should get a mentor. One, I had three part-time jobs to pay for law school, so I didn't think I had any time. And two, I did find that the few people who came forward, and this was like a century ago, were very much like, hi, how are you? You're doing great. Everything's wonderful. See you later. And then I got the impression that there was sort of a check, like, okay, done that, pro bono, done. What is mentoring really like now? That's a really good question. I mean, I I was thinking you were going to ask me the question, how do you find a mentor? I will. Yeah. But first tell me what it's like before I know whether we need to find one. (laughs) What is it like? I would like to see it more formalized than it is, particularly in our profession. I think some of the roundtables that we do when we do speed mentoring, I think Mm. those are really good. The program that um, Rocio was talking about, the mentoring partnership, that's a program that's really dear to my heart because that is specifically designed for new Canadians. I started in that program because it was something that I was working at Scotiabank myself at the time, and it was something that the bank really embraced. And what really struck me about that program was here was a way that I could help other professionals who their really only deficit when they got here was the knowledge of how the system works and the network of people that they could rely on. When we go to law school here, we all have law school mates and we meet lawyers and professors and we have a vast network that we don't even really, you've built up. But imagine coming here from another country and not knowing any lawyers at all. How do you really break into that? So that structure, I think, is really fantastic. Rocio, I think, was my fifth or sixth mentee. I'm now on my 11th. 
mentee. And now I exclusively, I have had a, a few men, but I now exclusively mentor women because I think there's a real deficit. And I don't know why that is, but I think there's a deficit of sponsors and mentors for women. I would really like to talk about that. You, you saw that question coming at you. We're going to have to discuss that at another point. There has been some chat in many industries, particularly because of Me Too, that some men say they don't want to work with women anymore. You didn't expect that question, but it's just in my mind with a big red circle around it. What do you think yeah, of that? that? That that statement really bothers me in a way because that's like men just saying they don't know how to behave. And I don't think that that's really true. But if it is true, we have to take it as a given. I think that it is the education around you know, what is the new culture? How can a, a senior male take an articling student out for lunch and not feel threatening? And I think a lot of that is a dialogue and empowering the women to be able to say what is and isn't appropriate. It's a shame that we actually need that kind of training, but if we do, I think to turn a blind eye to it, I think is the wrong approach. Well, and all of these difficult conversations are about pulling back the onion and saying things aren't changing because we do have problems that mm -hmm. we're unwilling to address. Here's another really awful stereotype. Women have only a small, this is so unfair to you. All of her questions are out the window. Women have a really small piece of the power pie or so the stereotype goes. And so they fight with each other over that because they can't even begin to get some of the larger piece of the establishment pie. You are a woman helping women. Can you talk about that experience and why you feel so strongly about doing it? So I've heard that stereotype. I, I personally, and, and for me, and we've heard yes. this before, I'm just speaking for me, I haven't experienced that. I have been surrounded by women throughout my legal career, and primarily my sponsors and mentors have been other women. There have been men as well, but I have not found that. There's that, yeah. that, that sort of stereotype that women don't want to help each other. Mm. Occasionally, does that happen? But I think, it's certainly from my perspective, that's not there. I think why there's a lack of sponsors for women is there are a lack of women in the leadership positions, and men don't sponsor other women at the same rate that they sponsor men. And I think, again, people tend to want to relate with people that they understand and know, look like them, talk like them, come from the similar backgrounds. That's sort of natural human tendency, and that's something I try to push off. So one of the things we did agree we would talk about is, so what is it like being a mentor? A lot of people say, I don't have time, especially women if they're carrying, you know, even if they're sharing childcare responsibilities with a partner, it's really a lot of work. It's a lot of work being a lawyer and doing well at it. What's the day-to-day -day life of a mentor? It's not a lot of work to be a mentor. Like that's sort of a fallacy. The first meeting that Rosie and I have, we're probably about an hour together. And really, that's just to make sure that we click and I have something to offer her and she sees the value in what I have to offer. After that, it's easy. It's bring Rosio to an event, you know, to take her to a luncheon, send her a job ad that I think might be useful. Look at somebody's resume, give them a pointer. They're going on an interview. Give them that pet talk about what they should say. Sometimes I actually engage my friends and colleagues to do mock interviews with them. It's not all about the time that you invest. It's about just opening spaces for them and giving them a chance to actually show themselves. I really tried, like in an environment today, I had a number of mentees in the room. I try to introduce them to people. That doesn't take very long. 
But those connections, that could be a job for them in the future. Or what I hope that actually happens from that as they build their network, they too are mentoring other people and that they're helping the next person along the line. You've got a lot of experience, in, not just in the legal profession, but with the Bar Association as well. It's 2019. How do you feel about the fact or what do you think, uh, which is a better way to frame your questions? We often ask women, how do you feel? And we ask men, what do you think? And in fact, they're two hugely different things. Mm -hmm. Feeling is emotion and thinking is analysis. So usually when you're addressing each other, it's great to remember to ask, what do you think? Unless you genuinely want to know how, how do they actually feel? It's 2019. You have a successful career and you just mentioned that you've had a fairly nice path on your way here. And yet we're having a gender and diversity conference. Where do you think we need to improve? What more do you think we need to do? We have to make sure that um, women are represented in leadership, not just in the law, but on boards and at the highest levels of corporations to the same extent men are. That's where we need to get to. That has to be the goal for all of us. And I am optimistic. You heard Crystal O'Donnell say, technology offers an opportunity to level the playing field. It's a new world. Thank you. Thank you. Each interview in this series is eligible for EDI hours. Simply complete the verification form on our website at oba.org forward slash momentum. Or you can collect a full five hours of EDI accreditation by watching the full day program from the OBA's Momentum Summit. It's available for purchase at oba.org forward slash CPD. Everyone benefits from gender equality and everyone has a role to play in advancing gender equality. Let's keep the momentum going. Thank you.